This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're enjoying your day. Thanks for spending a bit of your afternoon with us. I always love it when I can share some really encouraging research, especially when it comes to something like multiple sclerosis. And it's happening right here at the University of Calgary. Looking at a common acne medication for new treatment for those who suffer from multiple sclerosis. Dr. Luann Metz is the study's lead author, Coming School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. She is a professor in the Department of Clinical Neurosciences as well as a medical doctor. She joins us today. Hello, Dr. Metz. Um, hello. I'm so glad you can share your research with us. Maybe first of all, maybe some people still aren't familiar with what's happening with multiple sclerosis, but what is happening to a person when they're diagnosed with MS? When a person has multiple sclerosis, it means that they have a chronic disease where they get recurrent um, episodes of inflammation in the brain and spine. Um, Those episodes of inflammation might be um, quiet, so they don't have any symptoms, or they may have symptoms uh, that cause them to have varying clinical symptoms from vision loss to difficulty walking or numbness, um, even pain. When we look at the number of Canadians who are living with or diagnosed with MS, what kind of numbers are we at? There's currently estimated to be about 100,000 people in Canada that have multiple sclerosis. Um, in Alberta, there's probably 15 to 16,000 people with MS. Does it show itself in a particular gender, a particular age group? Yes, it certainly does. Um, about 75% of people with relapsing remitting MS, which is the most common form, about 85% of people start with that form, um, will, have, will be women. So it's much more of a female disease than a men's disease. Um, and it's also a disease that begins um, in very young adulthood. About 50% of people that get MS have their first symptoms before the age of 30. At one point, I thought that it was even geographical in Canada. Are some areas of our country, do they see a higher number of people with MS than other areas? It is geographical, even in Canada. There there are more cases of MS in the Prairie Provinces and in Nova Scotia and the other um, Atlantic provinces than there are in Ontario, Quebec, and British Columbia. And is there any reason why? We don't know. Um, one reason could be um, the where the people live. We know that there is a north-south gradient with the disease and that there are more people that live more northerly are more prone to get the disease. And we do know that when you look at the provinces of Quebec, Ontario, and British Columbia, people tend to live right along the border, um, at least massive numbers of the population do. And so it might be that because in our other provinces, we are farther north, that might be one of the factors. Mm. Now you have to go back to something you said that uh, a lot of people are diagnosed with the the relapsing remittance. What was that one again? Explain that. Relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. What is that? That means that people will have attacks and then have some degree of recovery from the attacks. They might get complete recovery or they might get partial recovery and then there'll be a period of time before they have another attack. 
Um, the other form that people can start with is a form called primary progressive multiple sclerosis, where right from the start, they just have gradual worsening, usually in their walking or their balance. All right. So more people are usually diagnosed with that relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. That's correct. How long have you been looking into MS? Oh, then I tell you how old I am. That's okay. I've been looking into MS since the late 1980s. Great, because I need this kind of background. Right now, when it comes to a diagnosis, what is the treatment for most people with, let's say, the relapsing, remitting MS? So people with relapsing, remitting MS would usually be offered uh, a therapy. We call them disease-modifying therapies because they don't treat the actual symptoms. They're preventive therapies to, to prevent further episodes of inflammation. We want to prevent relapses and we want to prevent all the inflammation that can happen on brain MRIs. Um, the, the therapies that we have, there are now many of them. Um, we have injectable therapies that have been around um, for almost 20 years, um, interferon beta and acetate. And then more recently, we have had some oral therapies and some infusion-type therapies. As we get to therapies that have a stronger effect, we also have um, therapies that have a higher risk of adverse effects. So we tend to start with therapies that are good but not perfect for everyone and um, monitor people closely. And if they're not getting a good response, sometimes we just find new activity on their brain and they feel like they're doing well. We, we may um, suggest that they switch to a, a different therapy or, or move up to something stronger, always based on balancing the risks and the benefits. There's no cure, though, for MS right now. You are just dealing with the, the, the patient and the symptoms and doing your best to give them a great quality of life then? That's correct. That's correct. However, I would say that when we treat people early, um, it, it looks like we are stabilizing disease for decades in the majority of people. So the outlook for someone that gets MS these days is is not so bad. It's not like it was in the past. Well, and because you've been researching it for so long, I have to touch on the Zamboni therapy because for a time that was seen as this great thing. But just give my listeners the latest on that so we can now talk about your latest treatment. Well, there have been clinical trials now in that therapy and it's been proven that they're not, it's not beneficial. Yeah. Well, I I wanted to make sure you said that because I know anyone who's talking about MS, they'll say, well, what's the latest on that? And there's such anecdotal stuff that people are still maybe not familiar with the latest research on that. So now you've got to talk to me about your, your research that has found just a common acne medication is giving new treatment for MS sufferers. So what we've done is we've tested this new therapy. It's called minocycline. In people that have a first attack where we can't even yet call it MS, um, by definition, MS has to happen recurrently. And so at the first attack, when people have an MRI that looks like they have MS and they've got, had typical symptoms that last days or weeks, not minutes, um, then they would have what we call a clinically isolated syndrome. And we know when that happens that two out of three people will go on to have confirmed MS within six months. That's a pretty high risk 
um, of going on to have MS. Now, with this drug, what we've done is that the participants were given either minocycline or an identical uh, pill called placebo that had no minocycline, no drug at all in it, and they were followed over time, and we found that 61% of those that got placebo did go on and have proven MS within six months, but only 33% of those that received the immunocycline went on to have proven multiple sclerosis. Wow. What's happening with the, the minocycline that is giving you these kind of results then? Well, minocycline has several effects. It reduces general inflammation in the um, immune system, and it blocks the immune cells from crossing into the brain where, where the inflammation causes um, these relapses and MRI changes in MS. And we know from um, studies in the lab and then animal models that the, that this drug, minocycline, is very effective at um, reducing the inflammation that occurs in the, bl- in the brain. Luann, how do you even get to the point where someone is using this common medication for acne and they say, wait a second, we're seeing that this could be beneficial for people with MS? Well, it's very important that we recognize the important role of basic discovery science here. And by understanding the cellular mechanism of many different drugs and then understanding the basic mechanism of different diseases, they can be matched up and tested. So my colleague, Dr. Yang, has done work with minocycline even longer than the beginning of our clinical trials. And he, was, he found that minocycline did have this important effect in MS um, with, because he was doing studies on the mechanisms of inflammation in multiple sclerosis. And uh, he was testing a number of generic therapies because we believed that there's, we know there's a lot of drugs out there already and maybe we're not taking full advantage of the different things that they can do for us. Dr. Mance, I know I've got listeners saying, okay, so where do we go from here? How soon would my loved one be able to try this? So can we take a break and we'll find out more about this, this great research. Dr. Mance is my guest this half hour, and we are talking about multiple sclerosis and the connection with this acne medication on treatment. This half hour, we are talking about multiple sclerosis. And as we've heard, there is a high number of people on the prairies, particularly women, who have been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. But through research that has been done here at the University of Calgary, we are finding that there is a a common acne medication, minocycline, that is showing some promise when it comes to treatment of MS. Dr. Luann Metz is my guest this half hour, and she's the study's lead author. So you've got all this great information. Now you've got to tell me where are we at when it comes to possibly rolling this out for people who aren't part of the clinical trial? When could we see this in a a broader population? So one of the beauties of doing research with a drug that's already a generic available drug is that it's already out there and it's already available. Um, And one thing to note is that in this trial, we were looking at people that present with their first symptoms. So we weren't at this point testing it in people that already have established multiple sclerosis. So it's really recommended at this point or proven to be effective in people that present with their first symptoms. 
Um, we did do some previous smaller trials looking at it in people with established multiple sclerosis, and it certainly looks promising. But to start, start it later in the disease, we will need to do some more clinical trials for that. Go back to that idea, that first attack, because I'm just wondering how that presents itself. What, what should people be aware of? Most commonly, people would have an episode of vision loss or double vision or numbness or weakness in their usually both legs or even up to their arms. Um, these are not episodes that are quick and transient. These are when they, when they progress over hours and days. Um, and then usually people would end up in an emergency department um, or an urgent neurology clinic. And that is when the, they would be examined and MS would probably be suspected. And then they would go on to have a, a fairly urgent MRI scan. Well, that sounds like something that you couldn't ignore, because especially if you say women tend to be diagnosed more than men, I sometimes worry that women worry about other people and not themselves. But when you start to talk about those kind of symptoms, I would like to think that anyone is going to say something's not right here. I've got to I've got to get uh, medical treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. This isn't something that people need to worry if they have, um, you know, a, a dry eye that might make their vision a bit um, off. This is something that's pretty obvious. Now I need to know about cost because whenever we talk about treatments, people are always saying it, it's so expensive. We've got a new treatment, but we can't afford it. It's obviously positive that this is already an existing drug. Well, the other positive is the cost. Oh, good. Um, one year of treatment costs less than $600. So out of the scheme of all drugs, it's very inexpensive. But multiple sclerosis drugs cost about $20,000 per year. So this is a much, much less expensive drug. Wow. So where do we go from here, Dr. Metz? Uh, well, I think that it, we need to do our work at making sure that all neurologists are aware of this so that when they see patients um, that present with a clinically isolated syndrome, they can get them on treatment um, quickly. And we need to continue studying this and other medications so that we can determine um, if this is indeed an option for people that have more established MS. Well, I'm glad we could get the word out. Thanks for sharing your research with us. Thank you very much. Dr. Luann Metz, she is with the Cummings School of Medicine, University of Calgary. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.